Well, thank you for uh, the weekend off. Last weekend, I was with my dad celebrating uh, his 80th. Um, they had a special party. He was a youth pastor as I was growing up, and there were 26 pastors that came out of this youth group that he led. And so they brought them all back last week, and uh, we were able to celebrate that. It was pretty crazy um, and wonderful. And uh, so thank you. And uh, thank you, Miguel, for stepping in. Pastor Dante had to be away. And uh, so Miguel jumped in and, and helped to tease out our new vision a little bit. So thank you for that. Ambassadors, one of his favorite topics. So, um, And uh, thank you, Lord, for the power being on this week, actually. I guess it was out. I wasn't here, but... Um, it's the little things, right, we're grateful for. So I um, wanted to uh, mention a couple of things as we start off. First of all, this is a new kind of sub-series within our study of the book of Acts. Um, and, and what I'm hoping will happen over this next season is we'll kind of do like an inward focus thing and then an outward focus thing. And by that, it'll be like breathing in, breathing out. So we, we focused inward a bit, talking about the grace of God over the last weeks as we were studying Acts 15. And now we're going to, in Acts 16, we're going to be pressing outward. I was in San Diego last week, and I saw a jellyfish um, in the water, not just walking down the street. Um, and, 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 and the jellyfish does this thing, you know, where it goes like this, and then it goes out. And that's how it propels itself forward. It goes in, and then it goes out. And I was thinking, what a great metaphor for what uh, I think we need to be doing over this next season as a church, is focusing in, letting the grace of God build community and capacity with, within us, but then also focusing outward. And so that's what I hope that we're going to be doing uh, over this next session. Now, we asked you, invited you at the Church Unleashed um, you know, launch two weeks ago to fill out cards with what the vision that we're, we're sharing uh, makes you think of. And I was really encouraged as I was reading through those cards, and I spent some time this week reading through them, um, about how many of us feel this impulse um, to reach out with the good news of Jesus Christ, with the gospel, with the person of Jesus Christ, to share the gospel. I was just really encouraged to see in the cards that people's responses were that they felt that kind of yearning. And it makes sense, right? Because if we're the people of God and the Holy Spirit's in us, there's going to be that impulse um, bubbling itself uh, to the fore. Uh, and so um, that, that's kind of um, what we're going to be doing over this next little uh, time and I, and I want to just sort of set it up with something that we've talked about over the last years, but we haven't talked about in probably a few months. And uh, this is a way of thinking through how we maintain our outward focus, because we know that in churches, what is so easy to happen, what's so typical, is that we can get turned inward only and forget that there's people out there that could benefit from Jesus like we have, that need the message of the gospel. And so um, we've developed some language uh, around uh, thinking through how we keep our focus outward, living outward. Uh, and here's, here's, let me walk you through it. So this is, we're just going to put this right out here at the beginning of the sermon today. Uh, maintaining an outward focus. So um, it's an encouragement for you to be thinking about your relationships prayerfully. So uh, where you are in your neighborhood or your workplace or the hobbies that you're doing. Uh, and then the next one is to be asking the people around you, you know, about their lives. Like, who are you? What makes you tick? You know, um, what do you like to do? What's your history? You know, where did you come from? What's your family of origin like? These kinds of questions bring us into people's lives, and they give us an opportunity to do the next thing, which is to bring blessing oftentimes. Oftentimes when we're having conversations with people, we, we, we see where the needs are, 
And we have a chance sometimes because of the way God may have worked in our lives to bring blessing to a person uh, as we understand them more and more. And as we do that, um, we sometimes get an opportunity to share how God is working in our lives. Uh, And then the last one is that sometimes that sharing will lead to the opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus. And so um, if you take all of those and you underline the uh, first letter, you get Pabst. Um, And I'll just remind you that um, Pabst is a German name in origin from the 1200s, so that might be how you want to remember this. Um, There's also, I found, a bookkeeping organization in Vacaville that's called uh, Pabst Bookkeeping. Um, So I don't know if there's any other uses of that name um, that might be common in our world today, but um, if that helps you to remember it, um, then remember it that way. Um, and I want to just say something, too, uh, to our, those of you who might be with us who are kind of asking questions about God. You might even not consider yourself to be a Christian. And we're kind of unapologetic about this aspect of who we are. And why is that? Well, it's an integrity issue because this is how Jesus functioned. And we, we view ourselves as following Jesus. Uh, and, and Jesus was somebody who was continually reaching out um, to share the good news with others. And so it's integrity thing, but it's also a love thing. Even though you might have a different perspective on that, from, from, from the perspective of somebody who's following Jesus, it's the loving thing to do to tell others, to share with others the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. Because it's good, and we want to share good things with the people around us. So, so if, if you're in that place and this feels like whoa to you, just just try to understand it. But also, I would just say maybe um, pray and and ask, would God maybe uh, use this time to speak into your life? If if God is there, ask, you know, um, reveal yourself to me. It's a great, that's a great first prayer. God, if you're there, reveal yourself to me. And then we can kind of walk out this journey together, and it's it's messy, um, but it's in community, and, and that's a good thing. So with that kind of um, introduction, let's get on to our text um, today. And I don't have a lot of time, so we're going to move uh, pretty quickly through this text. But it's chapter 16 in the book of Acts. So would you open up to chapter 16? Uh, and we're going to be looking in verse 16 through 24. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and we'll pass one to you. Don't be shy about that. really want to share uh, the Bible with you so you can uh, follow along in the text that we're reading. Now, a little bit of background as you're thumbing to the, to the text, page 539, by the way, is in that Bible that we hand out. Um, a little bit of background here. This is what we call Paul's second missionary journey. So he's, he's going out from the church in Antioch to, to go around and, and really start new churches. So it's, it fits into our church multiplication uh, Sunday. And he's just crossed over into Europe. So we talked about this in the last one. What, what we now understand to be Europe, he's just crossed over. Now, that was a big, that was a big move um, to cross over uh, and, and to begin um, to, to plant churches. And first of all, it'll be in Philippi. It's basically the story of planting a church there. And, um, and we're going to see how that, that church planting goes. It's different than we might expect. And already a woman has come to faith, and her name is Lydia. And now we're going to read this in verse 16. As we were going, this is uh, Paul and Silas and, and Luke and others are with them. As we were going to the place of prayer... We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, 
who proclaimed to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And we're going to end there, kind of like a cliffhanger for what happens next. So next week, uh, we're going to find out what happens. But let's talk about what's already happened here uh, in this passage. And I, 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 I hope we can observe the context here. Um, and the complexity. And, and, and so what I've entitled this sermon is Fruitfulness and the Complexity. What you see here is a complex environment, okay? A very complex environment. Um, you've got this woman who's in bondage to evil. So, there's, so we're, we have compassion for her because she's suffering. But then you've got people, men, who are exploiting her situation, right? And they're using it for their own personal gain. They're driven by greed, and then you've got this groupthink element happening in the forum, which is kind of like, you know, in our, our day, that would be social media, right? That's where the groupthink happens. But you've got them in the forum. Like once this, there, there's no researching what happened. They just get beaten immediately. So there's, and, and, and there's this play on the racial tensions. You might not have seen this, but when they, when they bring them in, they say these Jews, now that would have been, that would have been a statement to try and aggravate the people in the forum and the, and the leaders um, in Philippi uh, at that time. And so they're playing on the race tensions there, and there's a, an abuse of power. There's not a fair trial. They just strip off their clothes and beat them um, you know, without any, any discussion of what happened and whether they've really crossed any lines or done anything wrong. And I would say that we live in a familiar, that's from, this context is familiar to us because of the complexity of where, where we are. And I don't know if I'm saying that even just for the Bay Area or just our world in general right now. There's just a lot of complexity when we think about being ambassadors for Jesus and going out with the message of the good news. We do it in a complex environment, right? There's, I mean, I think of things like human trafficking that are happening right now. Or, or the conversation we're having about women in the workplace, or the, the layering of race into power dynamics and abuse and, and social media. I was hearing, um, I, was, I was reading a book yesterday and talking about um, just the brutality that can happen on social media, especially uh, amidst the, the younger crowd. Uh, and I hadn't realized, and it brought me to tears just thinking about some of the things that that take place. Uh, so we have our own kind of forum, right, where, where, where these kinds of things happen. This is, it's a complex, and it goes in all directions, right? It just, it's, it's so complex. Uh, and, and, and so we can relate to what is happening here with Paul 
and Silas. And the question is, how do you enter in it for good? How do you enter into that for good? Is there like a strategy or a special technique or a methodology that you can use to enter into complex environments with the gospel? And here's what I would would say from this, this text about that is there's not really a strategy if you mean by a set of of techniques and methods that you follow, like one, two, three, four. I mean, they didn't say, well, we're, let's go down to the riverside and uh, hopefully there'll be a demon-possessed woman who will start following us and she'll proclaim the gospel for us because the demon in her won't be able to help it. And, you know, that's how we're going to start the church. Like, that's not a strategy that you would set out to employ as you started to plant a church in Philippi. So, so, so there's, there, there's not a strategy in that sense, but there is a strategy. I think God's strategy is that he sends people and they live life in a place. They walk in the footsteps of Jesus. They walk out their life and they don't even know what's going to happen entirely when they do that. But stuff happens when they're faithful. So if there is a kind of a strategy, it's that they they enter into this place and they start talking about Jesus. They proclaim the message of the good news. But they don't really know everything that's going to happen after that point. Um, So the the strategy is the person and the quality of the people and the character of the people. One one person from our congregation who filled out the vision card um, said this in answer to this question. What does the church unleashed vision make you think of? Following Jesus doing what he wants, trusting there'll be supernatural results. I love that. It really captures what is happening. I mean, they're just being obedient. They're just following Christ. And then out of it, stuff starts to happen that they couldn't have predicted. They couldn't have planned for. They couldn't have strategized. Uh, But they react to it in a way that continues to move the goal forward of the proclamation of the gospel. So so, um, they do proclaim. They go down to the riverside. Uh, and and, and this, is, this is what happens. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't organize uh, around some of the uh, problems in our society and we should always just, you know, kind of mindlessly be obedient to Christ and everything will happen. I mean, the Holy Spirit can be in our organization too. And so we've got these agape teams where we're trying to address certain issues uh, in our community. Um, and, and that's good too. The Holy Spirit can be in that as well. I just want you to observe the power of these Uh, apostles, these disciples, as they just walk in faithfulness. They just walk in faithfulness, and then God takes it from there. And by this means, they even bring down what we would call systemic injustice. If we, you know, with with the the layers of the people who uh, have, um, uh, have lorded it over this woman, and they're making money, like they even step straight into that uh, and break it up. They shatter it because of their obedience. So there's a certain power to that. So how, what can we learn from the apostles? What's their approach? And, and so this is, this is sort of where we can maybe take some lessons from them. And the first one is simply this, that they, they proclaim. Proclamation is the first element. Um, it's not much of a technique or a methodology or a strategy. It's more about kind of who you, who you are. You're the kind of person who's just honest about what your faith is and the, the role that Jesus has had in your life. It's just being honest about that. Um, 
Um, but they, they, they do proclaim. They go down to the riverside. And they probably went to the riverside because in the absence of a synagogue, that's where people would have gathered to pray. So there probably wasn't a synagogue in Philippi uh, at that time. And so they went, they did the next best thing, which is down to this place by the riverside. And so, um, but then as they're going, it's funny because they're off the hook. Um, they don't even have to proclaim because there's a demon-possessed woman and she, the demon in her starts proclaiming the gospel through her. We I mean, go back to verse 17. This is wild. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God. And she's even doing like cultural transposition, transposition because the phrase most high God would have been a phrase um, for the Greeks and the Jews. And so um, the highest, and it could get kind of political, the highest um, person in Greek society, in Roman society, would have been, would have been understood as, as the most high God. The emperor would have been in that place. And so she's actually saying things that are, are, are framing it in the context of the, the people who would have been living in Philippi. Uh, and also connecting with the Jews there. So there's like this, the, so, so the demon is doing the cultural transposition as the gospel is being proclaimed through this woman. I mean, this is, this is wild what's happening here. They, they're off the hook. Now, probably um, that's not going to happen with you. Maybe you won't be so lucky. I don't know. Is that lucky or not lucky to have a demon following you, proclaiming the gospel for you? I'll leave it up for you to decide. Um, maybe that's easier for you than proclaiming the gospel yourself. I don't know. Um, but we're probably not going to have that happening as frequently. And so we have to be ready. And so let me just ask you this question, because we, we have to move through some of this stuff quickly. Are you going to the riverside? Are you going to the riverside like Paul and Silas? Are you praying? Are you asking? Are you blessing the people that God has brought into your path? Are you taking opportunity to share the importance of Jesus to you with the people around you? Are you telling them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That without Jesus, we're separated from God for all eternity. But God in his grace has made this way for us to connect with him through faith in the person of Jesus Christ and because of the atoning sacrifice, which washes away our sins. So we can have this eternal relationship with the living God, our creator. Are we, are we going down to the riverside to share that? that news. And, you know, we don't have to celebrate, like, we can celebrate just even the little steps. Did you pray for somebody? Did you ask questions? Let's celebrate every step along the way. I heard a talk this week, um, and there were some statistics about people's response to others sharing their faith. This is a, a pretty recent study from the Billy Graham Institute and Lifeway, and this is what it is. Unchurched response to if a friend of mine really values their faith, I don't mind them talking about it. 35% of unchurched people strongly agree with that. You realize that? 45% somewhat agree. Is that what you had in your head? If you're like me, you're probably thinking 95% will be really angry with me, right? But that's not what the statistics bear out. And then it goes on to say that uh, 13% somewhat disagree and only 5% strongly disagree. 3% are unsure. And yet 70, this is not up here, but 71% of unchurched people say that either no one or they're not sure if anyone has, has shared 
one-on-one with them how to become a Christian. So there's this huge gap into the openness versus what we're actually, you know, we're just not going down to the riverside. And, 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 and so that's, that's my question. Are we going down to the riverside? Can we go down to the riverside? Pray, ask, bless, share, tell. The second one is presence. We learn from these apostles, these disciples, the presence. They're, they're doing their thing, and then this woman comes, and it's really annoying uh, because they can't, you know, she's just following them around, yelling this. Uh, and so then they, Paul gets annoyed, and he turns, and he casts out the demon in the name of Jesus Christ. And then later we're going to see, uh, there's a little foreshadowing of next week, there's going to be an earthquake, and it's going to provide an opportunity for them to share their faith. Um, and, and, and it's just kind of this craziness. And what I see in these disciples is an awareness to the dynamic of the moment, an awareness to the dynamic of the moment. They're very present in what's happening. And they don't, they don't have this response like, oh, no, we were going down to the riverside to set up our tent and have a revival meeting, and things didn't go that way, so we're just going to give up. They just sort of go with what happens. And when it shifts and happens to, to, to look a lot different than they expected, they couldn't have expected all this, couldn't have expected the earthquake, they just kind of are in that moment and they, they, they live into it uh, and they continue to ask the question, well, how's God going to use this to accomplish the goal? And I find that, that so often I have a picture of how things are going to go. When it doesn't go like that, um, then I don't know what to do. Right? And I don't ask that question sometimes. Well, how's God going to use this to accomplish his goals? If we're with God, nothing should threaten us. Nothing should threaten us. Everything that happens, as crazy as it might be, is just a new opening. And I say that knowing, like parentheses, I can be so bad at this. Right? I have my conception of how things are supposed to go. And when they don't go that way, I'm like flustered and I don't know what to do. And I clam up. I, this just happened to me on Thursday. I was on a bike ride. It's like 5 o'clock. I catch up to a guy. And, uh, I, you know, uh, the traffic happens. In the midst of traffic, we lose each other. I totally could have found this guy and biked with him. One of the things I love about cycling is getting to talk with people, all different kinds of people. Um, But I wasn't thinking in the moment. I wasn't present to the opportunity God was bringing me. And I turned, and we lost track of each other. And then like four miles later, I'm like, why did I do that? I prioritized my particular pathway, the bike ride that I wanted to do, over the person that God, God brought into my life. Why do I do that? Well, I want to grow in that. I hope you do, too. To be present in the moment, to see um, to see how, how these, these threatening things, or that wasn't threatening, but sometimes the things are threatening, they're actually new opportunities. Even, if it's, even an earthquake becomes a tool in the hands of God, we're going to find out in this passage. Even an earthquake just becomes a tool in the hand of God. Paul David Tripp uh, tweeted this week, God is more committed to continue his work of grace in you than he is delivering to you another comfortable week. Right? This is kind of the, this gets at what we're talking about. And the discomfort and the craziness of it is what God often uses. And we have to be open to it. And I'm not very good at that sometimes. But God's at work in me and he's at work in you to make us more open. All right, the last one is is power. 
Our secular age, as Charles Taylor talks about, has taken a disenchanted view of the cosmos, of the world that we're in. We live in the West, and in the West, this has been, I think, the strategy of the enemy of God, the spiritual enemy of God, the evil one, the devil. The strategy has been to get us to think that everything is just material. There's no spiritual stuff going on. There's no spiritual realm. And if he can get us to think that, then we're not going to be looking. And if he can get the people around us who don't know God to think that everything is just material, there's no spiritual thing going on around us, then, then they won't look up, right? We'll just be looking continually below the horizon at what's happening, what we can see. We won't look up to see the bigger picture, what's happening beyond what we can see in the spiritual realm. Carl Payne in Spiritual Warfare says this about the strategy of the evil one in the West, in our particular context. Ridiculing both Christianity and demonizing, and demonism, excuse me, as emotional hocus-pocus and the sign of a weak, gullible mind could be a very effective way to keep a proud, self-made, rationalist, and empiricist impressed with his own education, opinions, and accomplishments from even exploring the possibilities of spirituality in general, demonic warfare specifically, or the gospel message of new life in Jesus Christ. And that's kind of the context that we're in, right? I know that's a complicated statement, so I put it up here. You can read it again. This is the context that we're in. That we, if, if the enemy can keep people thinking that there's anything going on in the spiritual realm at all, and all that's just hocus-pocus and, and something from the past, then that's a victory, right? And if we stand against that, we're going to incur attack. And I think we have already experienced this uh, at times. And this text is a reminder for us, for those who might be in that spiritual battle, that Christ has the victory. Look back in verse 18. She kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And then this, and it came out that very hour. Jesus has the victory. And we're going to see in this text more of it later. The victory of Christ over all that happens. And so we enter into this work without fear. My mother taught me that if you ever experience a sense that there's something spiritually evil happening around you, then cry out to the name of Jesus Christ. And and that's what we have in this text. It's in the name of Jesus who won the victory that the evil one comes out. And sometimes I, I just don't live into that enough. This morning I got up and I getting ready, and I can already hear, you know, that doubts and discouragements are kind of coming at me before I walk in to preach and talk about these things and Church Multiplication Sunday and all that. Um, I, can, I can hear, and, and I remember this text, and just to say to all those voices uh, that Jesus has the victory, to be reminded that Jesus has the victory. To call on the name of Jesus Christ. Have we really understood how significant that is? 
so that we, we don't have to step into this work in fear. We can step in in confidence. And that's what I see in Paul and Silas here. I mean, one of the things that we're going to see throughout this passage is just their sort of joyful, unflappable approach to all this. Earthquakes, they're in stocks, they've got demons chasing them, and just the whole way, there's this positive, joyful, hymn-singing kind of approach to it all, right? Where do they get that? Because they know that Jesus has the victory. And that's where we're going to get it too. So God, would you help us? Would you help us to live into this powerful truth that you have victory over all evil? You have victory over the evil that might be plaguing anybody in this room right now. You have victory already and we can call out in the name of Jesus Christ. God, would you help us to be present amidst the craziness of the world, the craziness of our own circumstances in our neighborhoods and maybe in our families and maybe in our workplace and things just always changing and not going the way that we expected. Um, That's actually normal. Help us to be present, continuing to look in each one of those quote-unquote challenges for the opportunity that you're bringing to display your glory, to reveal yourself to us and to the people around us. Help us to be present, Lord. And help us to be proclaimers of the good news. Help us to go down to the riverside like Paul and Silas and the crew. And we just confess that some of us haven't been doing that. We've been hoarding the good gift that we've been given in Christ. And you're calling us to go down to the riverside to pray for people, to ask, to bless, to share, to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. So we want to step out in faith this week with with clear eyes to see the opportunities that you give us. Ultimately, to love others. This is what it means as a follower of Jesus to be loving, to have compassion. And God, in the middle of that, we're going to need to be persistent. And so next week when we gather back here to be re-encouraged in this work, you're going to teach us about what it means to be persistent, even in the midst of difficulty. These guys thrown in the center of the prison, the locked up, their feet in the stocks, singing hymns, persisting in faith. We need that, Lord. So Bring us back together next week for it, we ask. In Jesus' name.